our brother in his prayer spoke of the subjects we've had before us in these last two or three Sunday mornings. We have dealt with, in passing, the wonderful fact that we are accepted in the Beloved and then as a consequence we have access into the presence of God. Now I want to take one other step. We have access with boldness. Now that's a thing that we'd hardly enter into our hearts if it hadn't been written. It's one thing to have access into the presence of God. But we go there with a sort of a consciousness that the very best we can take are but filthy rags in that holy presence. The very angels, the cherubim, veil their faces in that presence. And what about ourselves? Now our Saviour, who knew the truth and came to establish the truth, he gave a very personal, <coughs> very sympathetic parable once. I remind you of it. The prodigal son. <clears throat> the prodigal son went away to a far country and wasted his substance in riotous living. And then it says he came to himself. He got nothing else left. And he said, what a fool I've been. I will arrive and go to my father. And I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and I am not worthy to be called thy son. Make me one of thy hired servants. And so he went back. But you know the sequel, don't you? It wasn't the prodigal son that ran. It was the father who saw him afar off, and he ran and fell upon his neck and kissed him. And he said, this my son was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. Well now I want to just take one step further. We are accepted in the Beloved. We have access into that Holy Presence. Now the last word we might think if we never read the Scriptures is we could have the words and we do so with boldness. Not merely shrinking. Not merely veiling our face. We all with unveiled face, says the scripture, beholding the glory of the Lord, are changed from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of God. Fancy boldness being associated with your access and mine into the presence where the Holy Ones veil their faces because of that blazing holiness which no man can look upon and live outside of Christ. But what a difference it is to be in Christ, to be accepted in the Beloved, to have boldness and access because of Him. So let us make sure this is a part of the Scripture for us and go away rejoicing in so wonderful a gift. First of all, shall we look at Hebrews chapter 4. 
chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Of course, this is taking a little bit out of a big context. Verses 15 and 16 of chapter 4. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Have you ever pondered that? You think of the Holy Son of God and now at the right hand of God in glory. And then it tells us he, there's, there's no good it is to pass through this veil of tears. We have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are. All points tempted as we are. It doesn't say some things, because nearly every one of us have got our own weaknesses, and we envy the other man who doesn't respond to them, but there's our Saviour, the Holy One of God, who knows by personal experience what you go through, what I go through. And this is what it says of him. For we are not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, with that one accepted thought, yet without sin. What's the consequence? Let us therefore come boldly. You see the way in which the Lord has prepared the way for you and me. He says, come, because I know. I've not remained in glory and looked on these things afar off. I've been there. I've walked this earth. I've been tempted as the devil. I've had opposition. I've had to cry, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's the saviour we have. And when we think that he passed this way, and that he triumphed by grace, then we could understand the possibility that when we can think of that, he says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Well, that's a comforting thought, isn't it? Let's take another stage in the same epistle of Hebrews. Chapter 10. I'm taking Hebrews first because it's so much to do with the tabernacle and the entrance and the acceptance uh, that we get it well illustrated in this uh, wonderful epistle. In chapter 10, verse 19. Having, therefore, brethren, boldness. Here it is again. Here it is again. Boldness to enter. And it might be read, boldness of access. Of course, in the ordinary way, if we're in our own home, or if we're in the home of others, and a door is shut and somebody's on the other side, we generally feel it's the right thing to come in, they say. But you know, this one tells you, you needn't even... We have boldness of access. We don't shuffle our feet outside. We don't bow our heads and say, oh, I don't think I'll go in, I'm not worthy. He says, I know you're not worthy. Your worthiness is because of me. Come in. 
So let me read this again. What are you stopping yourself for? Well, that's only just because we can't help it. It says in verse 19, Therefore, brethren, uh, therefore, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way. You see, that's not possible in the Old Testament. Those poor animals that were sacrificed continually, they finished. But this is a new and living way. For the one through whom we draw nigh has passed through death and conquered it and lives to die no more. Ever living, what for? Ever living to make intercession for us. It's going on now, at this moment, at the right hand of God. Every one of us that belong to him by grace through his marvellous redemption as an intercessor at the right hand of God. That gives us this, this holy boldness. And so I felt it would be a sequel to the other passages we looked at. We're accepted in the Beloved. We have access through the Beloved. And now we have this boldness in the presence of God through the same Beloved. And we find in um, the second place where it says in... Um, this 19th verse, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. You see, if we don't draw near, if we shuffle our feet and say we are not worthy and all that, well now we are casting a certain amount of suspicion on the adequacy of God's great salvation. He says, I know you're not worthy, but I've made all the preparation necessary. Come, enter. So we read again. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Isn't there a hymn that says, Blessed Assurance? I once was speaking in a meeting in this part of the world and I altered it, blessed insurance, because nearly everyone there were in the insurance offices. But whether you call it insurance or assurance that Christ has done, it's the real thing. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. So it says here, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You say, what does all that mean? Well, I think it means this. If you have been made clean in your conscience, that's within, well, see to it that you now have a corresponding desire to be clean in your ordinary everyday life and walk. You're not being saved because you walk a bit more worthy, but it is the answer of love to the God who made all this wonderful gift and so he says the two things. Your heart sprinkled and your body washed. And he goes on to say, And let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. And why should we do that without wavering? Isn't it reasonable to think that people like you and me 
when we are faced by this most marvellous acceptance and marvellous access, should one does say, it seems too good to be true. But he goes on to say, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering for, here's a reason, he is faithful <coughs> that promised. Our access, our acceptance, our boldness in that presence doesn't depend upon our grip, but it depends upon his utter faithfulness to the work that he was commissioned to do on our account. And he's accepted on our account. We have access on his account. And so I felt it was a right thing for us this morning to take this third step. We are accepted in the Beloved. We have access through the Beloved. And we have the additional word boldness in more than one passage. Supposing we look now at Ephesians chapter 3, because I'm quite prepared for somebody to say to me, well, Hebrews is Hebrews, and that belongs to that people. <coughs> but the epistle to the Ephesians particularly belongs to us. Perhaps that doesn't use this expression, boldness. Perhaps because we are Gentiles, we haven't got this access and acceptance. Well, the only thing to do is to have a look and see. And if we read on till we get to chapter 3, we read these words. Uh, I don't know where the start will stop. He speaks about himself in verse 7 as a minister. And he says, Unto me you are less than the least of all saints is this grace given. So he's got something which he calls the unsearchable riches of Christ. Well, this is piling it on now tremendously for us poor outside Gentiles. <coughs> and to make all men see what is the fellowship or possibly the dispensation of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. We are coming to the word boldness presently, you see. According to the eternal purpose, or the purpose of the ages, which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access. It's not two things. It's access we have. Oh yes, said the apostle, access. But access with boldness. So we're accepted in the Beloved. We have access into, his, into the Holy Presence because of that. And we have boldness. As another scripture says, we all with unveiled face. Because we're told in that Holy Presence, those wonderful beings in glory, they veil their faces. But we all with unveiled face. What an acceptance we must have in Christ, if that is our position. And nothing less than that will answer some of these wonderful statements. Now it doesn't say it doesn't say our faith in him. I think we want to make sure about this in verse twelve, in whom we have boldness of accidents with confidence by the faith of him. Not my faith in him. Oh that's too slender a thread. It links me to him. But what gives me my boldness in the presence of God is not my faith in him. 
But the faith of him, and that faith then includes utter faithfulness. So we stand accepted, but not in ourselves. We don't bring into the presence of God all the good works we've done and all the things we've planned, because we never do a single stroke without his care and his preparation. And the finest Christian life would not give us acceptance there. But we have boldness of access because it's in Christ, through Christ, and with him. And I'm only telling you what you know, but friends, sometimes it's good to have these things rehearsed and that is a part of our opportunity that we're now taking. Well, now should we look at chapter 6 of the Ephesians? Because we're not done with boldness yet. It was written about one man. Here lies so-and-so. Who, fearing God, feared the face of no man. Why should I fear the face of a mortal man like myself? If in the presence of God I can lift up my head with boldness because of what I am, not in myself, but in Christ. So this is having, going to have a bearing upon our witness, upon our stand for the truth. The practical side is involved. And so if you will look at chapter 6, 19 and 20, you'll find the same apostle, the same epistle, is dealing with boldness once more. He asked him for prayer. For me, that utterance may be given unto me. But can't you speak? Oh, I can speak well enough, he said. But I know what it is sometimes to be frightened out of your life, to be stoned, to be shipwrecked, to be cast into prison, to suffer any amount of troubles and difficulties and problems. Oh, no, he says, I'm not a superman. So he says, pray for me. What for? That I may be saved all this persecution? No, I'm not asking that. But I am asking that in spite of it all, utterance may be given unto me. You see, it's an unselfish prayer here, isn't it? The one thing he's concerned about is that the Lord chose him and called him and equipped him and gave him a message. And he says, you know, left to myself, sometimes this overwhelming suffering may stop my mouth. So let's sympathise with him as we read these words. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am in bonds, an ambassador in bonds. He's playing a bit there. I think there was a little bit of something in the apostle's uh, make-up that you couldn't keep him down too long. He said, I'm a proper ambassador, aren't I? Look at the insignia, I've got bonds. But he says, I'm an ambassador just the same. And so he says, I'm an ambassador in bonds. Pray for me that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. I think we must be very careful in the use of the word ought. Don't use it too many times when you're speaking to somebody else and telling them what they ought to do of what they ought to speak. But do use it about yourself in the presence of the Lord so that you may speak or do as you ought. And that takes all the grace that God can give us 
because so many times there are intimidating features that would stop our mouths or prevent us from doing this, that and the other, but God knows. And this man, who was Christ's ambassador, didn't live a life of luxury. He spent half his time, if not more, in prisons of that day. They were dreadful places. He rejoiced to write himself, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. And he's praying that he may have boldness of utterance, even in that capacity. And so I felt it would be wise for us to have these three thoughts before us. We are accepted in the beloved. We do have access through his wonderful person and work. And we have access with boldness into the presence of the living God. Why should I fear the face of any mortal man if I can stand in that presence and have some little element of boldness there? So may God give us grace as he gives us this trust, as he gives us this wonderful word to publish, whether by printed page, tape recording, meetings that we confirm, conversations with one another. He will sustain us. He will open our mouth and fill it and he will be all that we need as so far as backing is concerned. And so we have in this 16 6th uh, chapter, 19th and 20th. Now let's turn to the next epistle. Because there's another way in which this can be uh, sort of uh, we could be helped. Uh, Philippians chapter 1 verse 12 But I would Ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Here's your super optimist. He's in prison. He's speaking about his bonds. But he says, you know what's happened? God's overruled it. And it's fur- it turned out to the furtherance of the gospel. You can't keep a man down like that who's got such a gracious faith in the Son of God that in his prison, and prisons in those days, he could be rejoicing to think that the very prison ministry was furthering the truth entrusted to him. And that's a spirit we do well to envy. So he says in verse 14, And many of the brethren, and in the Lord, waxing confident by my bond, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So he said, my bonds were manifesting in Christ, manifesting all the palace, so that they took courage when they saw this man, and they themselves spoke the word without fear. He says, of course, I know this, and it's good for us to remember it's characteristic of the witness all the way down the age. We've got to be prepared. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some of goodwill. But he says, I'm not going to try to analyse those things. I'm going to stop here. Verse 18. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. 
therein I do rejoice and will rejoice. Let us be careful of not looking at the other person and say, well, he doesn't come to the chapel of the open book, he always goes to the other one. We'll say, look, what's Christ mean to him? Where does Christ come in his ministry? Well, forget some of the other things for the time being and thank God that Christ is there. And sometimes that very attitude will bring together those who differ far more than slagging one another or writing articles or writing even letters. Here's a man who is rejoicing because Christ is honoured even though it means adding a little bit to his own inconvenience. And uh, I've got the first epistle of John, chapter 4, verse 17. First Epistle of John, chapter 4, verse 17. And that's right up before you get to the book of the Revelation, John's book of the Revelation. Here's his first epistle, chapter 4. He says in verse um, 15, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. So he's dealing with that very difficult thing, especially in the context of these days in which John was writing, to confess Christ. There may be many secret believers that we never hear of in the Scriptures. Because of the tremendous opposition there was by pagan Rome and by Pharisaic Jews and the general attitude of the world. But here he speaks about those who uh, confess. Um, we go on, my little children, he says in verse 18, my little children, let us not love. Oh no, I'm in the wrong chapter, I'm sorry. That wasn't a bad bit I was did by mistake. I, I'll read again. Verse um, 15. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he is God. And we have known and believed the love that God has to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Herein is love with us, not our love, that's rather twisting the words round. He didn't put it that way. Here in his love with us made perfect. That we may have, what? Boldness in the day of judgment. Because of our own witness, because of what we may have endured, he doesn't say so here. He takes you straight to the heart of the matter again. Boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we. They're so tremendous. Those words, were they not written in Scripture, it would almost be like blasphemy for anyone to say it. Let me say them again. As he is, so are we, even in this world. Not because of our attainment, but because of what he has done for us and made us to be in himself before the Father. I do hope that I haven't wasted your time this morning in adding these one, this one word to what we've already seen. Accepted in the beloved. Access 
into his presence, boldness of access because as he is, so are we in this world. The one other thing I would like to say is, now think of the parable of the prodigal son. I will arise and go to my father and I will say unto him, and when the father saw him afar off, it was the father that ran, not the son. Take away these filthy garments, give him the best robe, this my son was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. And that's my saviour telling me the attitude of the father when any one of us come back. He does the running, we do the shrinking. We hardly like to come back. And the father ran and kissed him and embraced him and upbraided him not. All friends, what a saviour we have. What a position we have in Christ. Accepted. Access. Boldness of access. May the Lord keep these three things before us. For they belong to us. They're bought with a price. That unspeakable gift of the Son of God.